Welcome again to Heartland Baptist Fellowship. We are glad that you're with us this morning, and uh, this is going to be a great day. I know it's a busy day, uh, but praise the Lord. We need a lot of things to do, so we're excited about all that God has for us today. And, you know, here at HBF, we are here to equip the saints of God and the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God in the power of God, for the glory of God, by the grace of God. And uh, that's a lot of God, and that's what it's all about. So we're glad to have you with us. And one of the main things that we want to do uh, during this time is get into the Word of God. And here in just a moment, you're going to hear from a very special guest speaker here and missionary that we support, uh, Dan Jalowick. Dan and Jan Jalowick have been missionaries in Zambia for a decade now, and uh, they followed in the, the path of Kevin Petsky, uh, who, was, uh, um, who, who was in Zambia uh, for a decade himself, I believe, or maybe a little longer, and, uh, and, and he is now the pastor up at Rochester taking over for George Grace. So you've heard uh, Kevin, I think you many of you have heard Dan before, but we're so glad to have Dan and Jan back. For you ladies, Jan will be back um, this uh, next week for the ladies' retreat, so we're looking forward uh, to hearing from her. Uh, well, you ladies will be, uh, but, uh, but uh, Dan and Jan are just a special couple. They're, they're just a wonderful uh, uh, example of the believers. I've been able to follow them, you know, from the time of their calling all the way to, to landing in the field, and it's just been a, a joy to see their faithfulness. They have an incredible family, uh, and they have, um, you know, they've, they've given a lot to serve the Lord, um, and they're glad to do that, and it's been a, it's been a, a joy to watch them uh, and see the fruit that God is producing. So if you would, let's give him a good HBF welcome. It's a pleasure to be back here again. Um, it's just amazing what God has done over these last few years in particular. Uh, he has just continued to grow his ministry there. And I always say it's not because of us, it's in spite of us. It's God's work. Um, these are an extension of Heartland. These are they're your people. You've prayed, you've sacrificed, you've invested. These are church branches sent out from Heartland. So I hope some of you will have the opportunity to come and visit them in person one day. We do have our prayer card here. Our information is on it. Please reach out, contact us. Um, I have an IT person that... Full-time, that's what she does, is work on these things. That's Janice, my wife. (laughs) She's also the full-time administrator, full-time everything. Uh, But really, reach out to us. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Um, We can emails. We send updates very faithfully every so often. And um, if you want to get one of these updates and know a little bit more specifically how to pray, uh, we can certainly do that. We mentioned here that we've been part of starting 10 churches, and um, it's amazing to be a part of something that is so much bigger than you. That's what we all want, isn't it? I mean, we want to be a part of something that's so much bigger than just us. And being in the body of Christ, I mean, that's the beginning part. That's what God does. Um, These young men that you saw there, they've been faithful. They've been leading some of these ministries. We have five of those ten churches have their own pastor. And the other ones, young men, are just going out, and they're teaching and preaching in these locations. And as if that wasn't enough, because they have to travel to these these churches, either on foot or bicycle, We've been able to get one motorcycle that uh, I I would say a couple of the guys use, but sometimes there's more than just a couple guys on that motorcycle. (laughs) Sometimes there's three, four, and you can fit small children on there too and make it five um, on that motorcycle. They go out to the different villages. Um, They've been faithful in doing that in leading youth conferences. Um, I got some videos the last couple of weeks of a youth conference that they've done 
in another area and just seeing um, this church, these guys have been so faithful over the last 10 years to continue to come to Bible study and discipleship class and they have grown and I would always visit this little church and there was always like these eight to 10 guys and we just kind of leave them on their own. They've got their own pastor. We help support them. But then I come back a year later, and I'm like, okay, let's see if maybe there's 12 people there. You know, you hope they hope there's a little increase. And all of a sudden, there's like 30 to 40 people there. So afterwards, I said, so you guys invited other churches, you know, for this meeting? And they said, no, this is who's been coming. I thought, wow, that's great. And they just did a youth conference. They're reaching out to the uh, the youth in that area. Uh, now, youth goes up to age 35 there. So you can be married. You can have six kids, and you're still considered a youth if you're under 35. So, I mean, that makes us feel pretty good. That means I'm I'm just barely an adult now. So, <laughs> so uh, we're just we're just so grateful for what God has done, but. Those 10 churches that we left in September when we came back here are 15. There's three more churches that meet on a weekly basis and then two more Bible studies that these guys have started. And our task now of continuing to train them in the word of God so they understand the scriptures and can apply it to their life. So we have a a very large challenge ahead of us. We appreciate your prayers with that. And it is basically kind of on a wing and a prayer. Um, we are, we were opticians. You know, why would God call opticians to go to the mission field? Why wouldn't he call a full-time pastor or one of the, you know, I, I was a deacon, but I mean, I wasn't a pastor. I was an optician. I was just serving in my church. And God clearly called us one time on a missions trip and it made absolutely no sense to me. Um, but that's how God delights, just to use common folk. He delights in using the small, insignificant, because he gets more honor and glory through that. Um, so we're going to open up the Word of God. We're just going to take a few minutes today. Make sure your cell phones are off so don't get distracted. Put your watches away. I promise it'll just be a few minutes says the preacher. Um, (laughs) We're just going to look at a few verses uh, in Exodus. You can turn to Exodus 19. Um, And I understand that Pastor Brian says he's been teaching there. I didn't know that. But uh, as as I was seeking the Lord for for this, he led me here. So we'll just get a couple verses from Exodus, a couple verses from Ruth, a couple from Matthew, maybe 1 Peter, maybe Titus. We'll end at the end of the New Testament, um, but we'll just do a, a brief survey and, and see, I see how God weaves his plan and his words through scripture that really can have a great application in our life. It's all about obedience to God. It's always been about obedience. When they were in the garden, it was about obedience to God. God chose a nation, an an ethnos, as I learned from Randy this morning, a a people group, the Jews, to become his people, that he was going to use them to proclaim to the world who God is, because we need clear direction. Everyone needs clear direction on who God is. He says I'm going to use one man. I'm going to use Moses. Moses is going to lead his people out of Egypt. Uh, They're in bondage now. They were kicked out of the garden. They wandered a bit. They find themselves in Egypt many years later. They're in bondage to the world. Now, God's people, us, we are in the world. And we find ourselves sometimes in bondage to the things of the world. Egypt is always a picture of the world. Now, we are not Israel, all right? I am not teaching 
replacement theology. The church is not Israel. Israel is Israel. There is a nation of Israel, and there is a spiritual Israel. But we, as Gentiles, we are the church. We are the body of Christ, and these things can apply to us. God says, I'm going to use Moses. You're going to lead my people out. He said kind of similar things that I said. He didn't say, but God, I'm just an optician. He said, God, I can't, I can't speak well. God says, who made you? Who made your mouth? Who made your mind? He says, I'll take whatever you have, and I will use that for my honor and glory. So he, he takes Moses. Moses is to lead his people out against the greatest power the world knew at that time. It was the world system. It was Egypt and Pharaoh. And just like the world today, Egypt had many, many different gods. This world has many different gods. And we can get drawn in to those if we're not careful. One of the many gods that we have in the United States will play this afternoon all around the nation. A few weeks ago, we saw Jehovah stop that God on a Monday night. We saw the nation stop in awe and pray for a man they did not know. I'll bet you there was more people praying that night than have ever prayed since 9-11. God says, I will take those gods down because I am the one who deserves the honor and the glory. He says, you tell Pharaoh who I am. You tell the world who I am. And I will show my power over them over their gods. And he certainly did that over the the 10 plagues, over the gods of Egypt, the ones they, they worshiped, the God of the river, the God of the land, the God of the sun. God says, those are not gods. I made those. They were made for my glory. And we trying to turn them into a glory of their own. Well, Moses leads the people of Israel out through the Red Sea. They had to make that step of faith. They get to the Red Sea, they look behind them, and they say, no, God, what are you doing? They had to take that that step into the Red Sea. They had to take a step that they did not see. They did not understand. And once they took that step, God parted the waters. That same Red Sea that became a wall to God's people on both sides, that dried up the ground and they went through and they were saved on the other side. Although they didn't know quite that they were saved because when they looked back, they saw Pharaoh and his army chasing them and they were still worrying, saying, God, what are you doing? That same Red Sea that saved Israel condemned the enemies of God. It condemned Pharaoh and his army who refused to obey Jehovah God. We are either saved or we're condemned by what we do with our life. Not by works that earn us salvation, but by faith that proves what we believe. James says, you believe? Well, that's good. Well, show me. Let your life prove what you believe, because words are cheap. I mean, we know that. We listen to the news. Come on, man. 
They could say anything they want. And we're going to go, no, it's true. I heard it on the news. Wake up, America. They can't say anything they want because they are ruled by the God of this world. The small G-O-D. And the small gods of this world, the leaders of nations and corporations, they have an agenda. And it is not about the great I am. And God says, I have a people that I want to use to proclaim my glory. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. Exodo mutu 19 in Dime 4 and Paca 6. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, then ye shall be a peculiar people unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God says, I carried you out. I brought you unto myself. If you would obey my voice, you will be a peculiar treasure unto me. That word tells us we are something so special, you can't find that anywhere else in the world. God says, the world is mine. I own everything. I am the king of the universe. I have stars that have one kind of glory. I have planets that have another kind of glory. But I have people that have yet a different kind of glory. And they will be a jewel unto me. He says, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, in Exodus 20, God gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, these are not only rules to live by, but we know they are God's standard of perfection. So while we know in the New Testament, those Ten Commandments are kind of like a mirror to us. We look at that mirror. We look at a mirror, what, to see how good we look? No. We look at the mirror to see where our faults are. Because when you look at the mirror and you go, oh, most of my hair looks really good, that's not what you do. You go, oh, what's out of place? We look at what's wrong. And when we look at those Ten Commandments, it reflects everything that is wrong about us, that we are incapable of keeping the Ten Commandments, God's standard of perfection. And while we look at that and we go, could never keep them. This was also a love letter God wrote. You go, what? A love letter? Think about this. Israel just spent 400 years in Egypt. Can you remember back 400 years ago? How about 250 years? How long have we been around as a nation? They spent more, twice as much time in Egypt. All as they knew is they became slaves. They lost everything. They lost their opinion. They lost all their possessions. They lost their family. They lost the right to exist. They lost everything they knew. Even what they knew of Jehovah God, it was being shredded away because they saw Egypt worshiping all of these other gods. They lost all all of their time, all of their freedom. They had absolutely nothing but the breath that they had that day. And that was not even guaranteed. 
They didn't even have safety of going to work as a slave. Because if an Egyptian wanted to accuse them, they can accuse them of anything. They can say anything they wanted. Kind of like our news media today. They can say anything they want. They can falsely accuse. Just like the Romans did in Jesus' day. If they made any kind of false accusation, you absolutely had no defense. You were under their judgment. God says, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you who I am. There is one God. You'll love no others. When you know who I am, you'll be a peculiar people unto me. And he says, I'm going to give you one day. One day a week, you'll do no work. You'll get that day to come and know me. We can sit face to face. You can learn of me. You can read my words, and we can communicate. And you'll get to have fellowship with me. You'll know who I am. And you will be protected. You and your spouse will be protected. No one can take your spouse from you. No one can falsely accuse you, lie about you. No one will just go in and steal what you have. You are protected. When you are my people, I will be your protection. Well, they go out of Egypt. They're into the wilderness. They're wandering around there. They see miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw the mighty hand of God working on them, working for them, working all around them. But you know, miracles only last a short time. And miracles, they don't do what we think that they should do. We think when we see a miracle, oh man, that's going to carry me forever. No, it carries you to the next day, till life happens again. And you go, man, I can't believe this. A car broke down. I can't believe this. This bill came in. And now we have a leak of faith. We forget what God did. God says, I want you to remember, I will always take care of you. They began complaining about Moses. They doubted what God was doing. God sent them fiery serpents. They were dying. They were, that was the picture of sin and death. They were dying in front of each other. God says to Moses, make a brazen serpent, put it on a pole. And if they would look to that, that picture of judgment, a picture that if they would judge themselves is, I'm already dead. If I do nothing, I am going to die because I'm watching everyone else die. But if I would believe God, if I would look at that brazen serpent on the pole, I will be healed. And indeed, they saw some of their family and friends look up to that serpent on the pole, and they were healed. And yet others refused to look. It's not that simple. I won't do it. I'm not going to get tricked. Just look. No, I'm not going to do it. God says, if you would just obey my voice, I will save you. I will heal you. They go through that. Now Joshua, Moses dies. Joshua leads them into the promised land. Things were good. They conquer the land. They're starting to take over. We get to the time of judges. Oh, what a horrible time for Israel this was. The one theme ends with these words of the whole time of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Lawlessness. We've seen lawlessness within the last couple of years. We've seen communities shut out police, shut out authority, become their own authority. And look what happened to them. People were running in fear. Places were burned down. People lost everything. Many lost their lives just standing for what is right. 
That's what happens when every man does that which is right in his own eyes. God says he wants us to recognize we need an authority in our life. We need God in our life in every aspect, not just on Sundays. These people rebelled against God. He brought judgment. He sent them into captivity. Over time, when it got so hard, they called out in repentance. God showed his mercy. He raised up a judge to deliver them. And then they praised God again for a while. And then the same cycle happened. Seven times the nation of Israel went into apostasy and they complained and God brought judgment and captivity and repentance and he brings a deliverer again. It's a picture of our life. If we are not careful, we just find ourselves in this cycle. Like we're in the, we're in the clothes dryer. We're just going over and over and there's good times and we fall away from God and we God brings judgment and he allows us to repent and Man, that gets confusing when you start getting just going in this cycle. God says, I want to be your authority. But by now, word is getting around throughout the world of what God has been doing for his people, Israel. Turn to the book of Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth. This time, we see a woman named Naomi. A Jewish lady, she finds herself outside of Israel. She finds herself back in the world in Moab. She finds her sons take daughters of Moab. The men die. Her husband dies. Her sons die. And we see... One of the daughters-in-law decides to stay back in Moab, but the other one refuses. She says, no, please don't, don't send me away. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Don't send me away. So she finds Ruth has come. And she says, God has a plan for Ruth. Now, interesting, a Moabite, they were, those were unclean. They were not good people in the sight of the Jews. God takes this Moabite woman, Ruth. She follows the God of Israel. She obeys what she knows is right. Ruth, chapter 2, verse 8. She finds herself still scrapping for food, still struggling, doesn't really have anything. But in verse 8, Chapter 2, it says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young man have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work 
and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Those are the same wings that he led his people out of Egypt. He says, I will bear you up on eagles' wings. She saw the authority, the protection that the God of Israel provided for his people. And she says, I want to be a part of that. So she went to follow the God of Israel. And God is taking care of her. It's a perfect picture of the Gentile bride being redeemed by a Jewish man. In this case, his name is Boaz. Now, the name Boaz... In English, it's the word alacrity. Not a word we use very much, alacrity. Go ahead and say it, alacrity. There's your word for the day, okay? It means eagerness, willingness, and strength power. It gives this idea. Now, we've got six grandchildren. Our little Harper... And Clara are just learning to walk. So, you know, they they hold on the furniture. And then you hold their hands and they're safe and they start walking. And you let go and they start doing this teetering. But all the time you are right there. You're eager. You're willing. You've got the power. As soon as they fall, you would save them. That's the picture of Boaz in his name. That's the picture of Christ. When we follow him and start to walk on our own, he says, I am there to save you at any time. Then we look in Matthew chapter 9. Told you we'll just do a short survey. Matthew chapter 9. I love... This story, this is the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name, but when we compare with Mark and Luke, we do see that she's been sick 12 years. She spent all her money on doctors. She's tried everything. She would work save just to try something from another doctor. Nothing. Nothing this world had to offer. The greatest physicians that she could get could not help her. But yet, the Bible says that she grew worse. She knew her blood condition would kill her if she didn't do something. Now, Matthew 9, chapter, I'm sorry, Chapter 9, verse 20. 9, 20. It says, Behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. How does this tie in with the rest of the eagle's wings, the power of God in Egypt, Ruth coming under the shadow of the wings. This God of Israel that told them that they're going to be a peculiar people. They're going to be a priest, a whole nation of priests. He told them how to dress. He told them what to look like. He told them how they should conduct their life. Then he says, oh, by the way, at the bottom of those priests' garments, I want you to put these tassels on the edge, on the the hem. These tassels are going to be a reminder of the Ten Commandments. Everywhere you go, you're to walk in the ways of God. Those tassels were strands that were twisted into a knot. Some of those had beads on them. Those beads 
represented the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, and the grace of God. And those four beads had five spaces in between them. And the Jews realized those spaces that came before, within, and after all of those things of Jehovah God was the Pentateuch, the history and the law of God's work in his people. She knew, as a Jewish woman, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, that place, if I could just grab one of those tassels, I know he has the authority to heal me. Nothing else in this world can save me. She knew this Jesus had authority like no one else. That's why she wanted to touch the hem of his garment. She didn't say, if I could just shake his hand, if I could just get a hug, if I could just hear his words. She says, I need to get in and touch the hem of his garment. That act of faith where she says, I need your authority in my life. That's the only thing that's going to save me. And she reached through the crowd. This woman, sick for 12 years, everywhere she went, somebody would see her. Unclean! And now she's full of shame. Somehow they saw her issue of blood. And she would go and cleanse And she would come back out and somebody would see her unclean. Can you imagine if people said that to you? Unclean. You heathen, get away from me. You're disgusting. Not being touched, not being hugged, not being loved for 12 years, all alone. That is probably the worst sentence anyone can face is being alone. Now, there's times we all like to be alone. But we need people. We need family. We need community to live, to thrive. She was alone. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can trust in his authority as the Messiah. And she did. And he stopped. The crowd is all around him. And he says, who touched me? Peter goes, Lord, everyone's thronging you and pushing you, and you say, who touched me? Come on, man. And he says, someone touched me, for I know virtue. I know power. I know healing. I know life has gone out of me. Someone just bowed to my authority as the Messiah. He says, I want to stop and recognize who that was. And he turns, and she's full of shame. And everyone's backing away. And she says, it was me, Lord. And he says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you whole. Her faith in the authority of the hem, that tassel. The hem in the Jewish culture, the word is called the kanoth. It means the hem or the border. You could also say the skirt. You could say that Harrisonville is on the outskirts of Kansas City. It's that idea, it's that outside border. It's the same word, kanoff, that God uses for the wings. I will bear you on eagle's wings. She saw the authority that Jesus had in the wings, in his fringes, in his hem in the authority as the Messiah. How did she know this? Because she knew there's a judgment coming. 
Turn with me to the great Italian prophet, Malachi. The book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. She knew that there's a day of judgment coming. And in her state, sick, dying with this disease of blood, she knew her time may not be long on this earth. If she doesn't do something, she may bleed out one day. She may find herself so weak, she can't do anything. But she knew as a Jewish woman, she knew the scriptures. She knew why he had authority in that hem of his garment. And Malachi Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, verse 1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Nothing left. The judgment of God, when it comes through, it won't leave anything. Now, it's interesting to see. We see the picture. Now, in Zambia, they love to burn the grass. They burn the fields. They burn the garbage. They burn everything. It's a beautiful atmosphere. They burn their fields down to the stubble. Nothing left. But here, the scripture says... There won't be root or branch left. I mean, everything is going to be consumed. Who's the root, the offspring of David? Who's the branch? He will even be gone during that judgment that God will bring. There's a time that that root and that branch is available for us to reach out to. But it says... But unto you that fear my name. Shall the son of righteousness. Arise. With healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth. She knew. He is the son of righteousness. He has healing in his wings. It's the same word, the hem, the wing, the tassel. He had the authority, the only one that had authority. This issue of blood for 12 years. She knew she can find the healing in his wings. In chapter 3 of Malachi, in 16, it says, But they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. God says, if you fear his name, if you will put yourself under his authority, every aspect of our life, under the authority of Christ. He says he wants to make us a jewel. It's that peculiar treasure He says that you'll be unto me. Those that follow the word of God in faith are jewels, special treasure to the Lord. He says, one day I'll collect them and they will shine brighter than the sun. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a Peculiar people, 
that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We'll end with Titus 2. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That peculiar people. We can be a treasure unto the Lord if we would follow his words, if we would walk by faith. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So many times I've tried to gather you as a hen would gather her chickens under my wings, under my authority, but you would not. They kept running out from his authority. He wanted to gather them and they would run out. We only have the protection of God when we stay under his authority. If we choose to get out from under his authority, we're saying, as a little chick, go ahead, hawks, see if you can do something. See if you can catch me. Go ahead, try your best. I could do it. And that little hawk's going to swoop down and pick up these little chicks and they'll never be seen again. God says, stay under my authority. He says, I'll bear you up on eagle's wings so he can show his power to the world so they can see who I am is. Ruth came to trust under the shadow of his wings. The woman with the issue of blood knew the Messiah would rise with healing in his wings. Those who trust in him will be a treasured jewel, a peculiar people. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Bow your heads with me. Close in a word of prayer. If there's some aspect of your life that you know you're trying to keep hidden from the one who sees everything. I ask you to just submit that to God. Get under his authority. He already knows all our shortcomings. He knows our failures. He knows every bad thing that we've done, every bad thought we've had. And yet he says, when you would just come to me, just reach and touch the hem of my garment, my authority, your faith will make you whole. You will be clean. You will have no shame in the presence of Jesus Christ. Our sin keeps us separated. Our sin keeps us alone. Our sin, our shame, makes us want to hide things. And Jesus says, bring it all to me. There is no shame in my presence. I have taken it all already on the cross of Calvary. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your promises. We thank you for your amazing word. Whew. Quick and powerful. Lord, you, you display a small part of your wisdom just in the writing and the preservation of your word. 
Lord, we want to submit ourselves to your authority. Father, we'd ask that you would do your great work in our lives, that Jesus Christ would be honored, would be glorified, and that people of the world would know who is the great I am. In the almighty name of Jesus and by the authority that he has in all of the universe, all dominions, all powers must be subject unto the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, the Son of Righteousness. It's in his name we humbly ask these things. Amen. Continue in an attitude of prayer. I just want to take this opportunity to extend an invitation. And if you would just do this right now, just stand where you are, uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. Perhaps this morning you are in bondage. Uh, you have come into the, the meeting this morning and, and uh, you are in a bondage of some sort of sin, uh, of something that is just burdening your soul and you need relief. Uh, and God has brought you for such a time as this. I just want to encourage you right now to respond to what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're uh, someone who is alone. Uh, you feel isolated like that widow um, or, or that, I'm sorry, that woman with an issue of blood who was unclean and unclean. Maybe this, uh, this morning um, you are in a situation uh, like Ruth, you know, where you are without, um, you know, means. You, you are, she was widowed and she did not have, um, she didn't have anything but God to fall back on. And you're in a situation where you need God to move in your life. And we just heard a wonderful message about God's, uh, the power of his wings, right? The power that is in his ability to save us, to bear us up, and to change us and change our identity into a peculiar people, a treasured people. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you're like, Brian, I need to be, I need to receive this help that you're asking. You know, Jesus uh, is the son of righteousness. The Bible says that in Malachi 4 there that he has healing in his wings. And the way he has brought healing is through his own death on the cross. He fulfilled the law. 